This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mom and Mind podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kat, and today I'm also the guest. I'm really excited to bring this to you. Karen Kleiman graciously is interviewing me today on my own podcast, but for a very special reason for me to be able to share my story with you again. The first time I shared my story on this podcast is episode one of June in 2016. So, so many years ago, it feels like almost seven. And I was thinking in honor of Maternal Mental Health Month in general, I wanted to bring my story back up to the top so that you guys who listen to the podcast and know me professionally as Dr. Kat can also understand a little bit about why I do what I do, why I'm so passionate about this cause and making sure that no parent feels alone in their journey because I did. I felt very alone in my journey, and you'll be able to hear some of the really big parts of my experience in this interview with Karen, and she's so good at interviewing. I really appreciated her questions, and it helped bring up and bring to light some of the things that I don't share about as often if I'm just you know, speaking off the cuff about my own experience, but I am hopeful that in me sharing my experience with you here today that you will understand that depression, anxiety, and OCD happen in postpartum, and it can happen to any of us. My degree, my education, my whatever doesn't preclude me from experiencing mental health issues. And it's just so real that all of us experience something at some time or another. So hopefully this helps to reduce the stigma and dispel the myth that postpartum depression and other perinatal mental health conditions don't happen that often because they do. They're very common, but not necessarily normal, meaning that just because it happens to a lot of people doesn't mean it's okay for it to be happening to you. There's a lot of help available these days. And so 
I appreciate you for coming along this journey with me so far, and I'm happy for you to hear part of my story. So thank you to Karen Kleiman. Let's hear from both of us. Well, thanks so much, Karen. It is so such a delight to talk with you. I had so much fun on your interview and I interviewed you and I'm really excited that you came on to interview me and to share my postpartum journey with everyone. I have shared it before in, in bits and pieces, but I think for, you know, especially for things like Maternal Mental Health Month, it's nice to know that, you know, people, all kinds of people are dealing with real stuff. And just because I have a degree in psychology, it doesn't bar me from having my own experience. So I'm excited to see what comes out of my mouth as you ask me questions about my journey. Good. The timing is also great because of Mother's Day coming up, you know, and how you and I both so fiercely advocate for taking care of ourselves and speaking the secret and saying what we need to say. And so this is great timing and it's my privilege to uh, swap seats with you <laughs> and pretend like I know what I'm doing as I as I play the imposter uh, host for the hour. So I actually, on a personal note, you know, we've known each other for a very long time with, you know, sort of parallel paths here professionally, but I know very little about you. And I really am quite curious about your deep dive into this work. So I've got lots of questions. We just start going right to it. Yeah, okay. So you said you've talked about this a little bit before. Mm-hmm. In what capacity? Just sort of this kind of interview and Yeah, I mean, I've I've had several interviews on podcasts and and uh, you know, articles and whatnot where I'll share just kind of that sort of headline. I had postpartum mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, and OCD after my first and that launched me into this specialty. And in the very very first episode of this podcast in June of 2016, I shared my own story. And if you happen to go back and listen to it, the audio is horrible because <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. But I felt like it was important to start this podcast on a story and a personal story and a bit of my why. But, you know, telling your own story when it's just you talking, I think is one thing. But having somebody ask you questions might you know, bring out different aspects of the experience that I don't normally say, not because I don't want to, but it's just because I'm used to saying maybe the same thing. Yeah. Just as an overview, it sort of brings out those issues of, you know, that we're all so familiar with quite intimately, like self-disclosure and um, how much does my personal reproductive journey really matter when I'm certainly when I'm sitting in the room with a client and maybe I'm being triggered and there, you know, there are all kinds of issues professionally. That will be our next podcast we'll talk about. Okay. But for this one, I am really very curious to know from the beginning what happened so many professionals that go into this work mm-hmm. find themselves sort of catapulted into it because of their own vulnerability and their own experience that sort of literally changed their life. So did you experience postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD with both children or just one? Oh, for my first, yes. And my second, I did, but it was sort of, I lovingly call it the light version. It was like postpartum light because for the second, I had put a lot of stuff in place. I had started to specialize so and I knew where my vulnerabilities were. But for my first, after my daughter was born, it hit me like a ton of bricks. What I can say is that I 
you know, the pregnancy was planned and, and wanted and for the most part was pretty easy. Actually, I felt better than I normally felt. Like I had a break from PMS, uh, which was lovely. I highly recommend that because my PMS history has always been really difficult. So I didn't, I wasn't dealing with those ups and downs, you know. I don't think I noticed looking back on it, any real anxiety coming on until potentially the very last couple of weeks looking back on it now. But even then it was sort of relatively mild anxiety. I I was having physical pain, which I had really, really bad carpal tunnel from all of the swelling in my body and the Dick Gourvain's syndrome thing that happens in the thumb. It was incredibly painful. So that part wasn't cool. My labor with her was very long. Like contractions started at uh, like Friday night and I had her Monday morning, like mid-morning. And, you know, my plan was an unmedicated birth and I was able to do that. But I was, I had back labor and it was so painful. I'd never experienced pain like that in my life. And, you know, I had, I knew enough for myself that I would need the support of a doula. So I had that. And um, so all of that was fine. It it, it went okay. But uh, right after she was born, she had aspirated like a tiny bit of meconium. And I didn't know that was a thing. And when she was in the little carrier right next to me, she had coughed up something that looked green, like slightly green. And I immediately felt like anxious and panicked. Mm -hmm. And I remember just constantly needing to have my eyes on her, making sure that nothing was going to happen, that she wasn't going to choke, that she wasn't going to like, you know, aspirate again, kind of like this new little being that I all of a sudden felt such an intense responsibility for. That was, that was pretty overwhelming. In, and that was in the hospital. It didn't register for me as like the beginning of things in any way. But looking back on it now, I know that it was. That's when the anxiety started. Were you familiar with anxiety before you were pregnant? Yeah. Had you, so ex- I, had, had you experienced it before? Yeah, I had a history of depression and in high school that was actually brought on from a concussion. So, mm-hmm. and injury. And I was like, it knocked me. It took me out of soccer. It took me out of my like my trajectory in life, and and I got pretty depressed after that. And then off and on after that, I experienced depression and anxiety so, for sure. But I think even in college, when I was having panic attacks in college, I just thought it was part of my PMS, mm-hmm. and it was or, or part of college, right? Right, <laughs> or both, yeah, right. So. When you notice this, you're talking about in the hospital, you said you experienced this acute sort of hypervigilance and checking with her, making sure she's okay and isn't aspirating. Were you aware at that time that it was too much anxiety? Did you think it was too much anxiety? Was it uncomfortable for you or did it just feel like a normal response to what was going on? I didn't know enough to know that it was not normal. I know that now it was not I know now that it was sort of an overreaction to uh-huh. what was going on. I think anxiety was a little bit harder for me to recognize because I think depression had always taken center stage. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety that I did experience was just high functioning anxiety for years. So mm-hmm. it didn't register that I was 
having anxiety at that time. Not at all. And as a matter of fact, none of it registered as depression or anxiety for a long time. Oh, what you're describing so perfectly, Kat, is sort of that overlap that so many moms today still find themselves immersed in. Like, how do I know? I just had a baby. I've never had a baby. Of course I'm anxious. And of course I want to make sure she's breathing or not aspirating or whatever. And so you know, sometimes it's sort of insulting when people label it as anxiety. It's like, I'm a new mom and I'm scared and I'm trying my best. And so how do we know if it's too much or not enough? Or It really is hard to know, especially because it's new. You know, I for me, again, like this is all looking back. I didn't know at the time. Like, you know, I know you hear this from a lot of moms is it just felt like this is what it was supposed to, like, maybe this is just what motherhood is. Huh. But it steadily got worse. Tell me about that. Tell me where it went from there, how you did know that something might be wrong. Well, just in terms of what, again, what I know now, looking back, is those getting home and having no clue what was going on. So I should preface this with like me being a perfectionist and, you know, that kind of pressure really does make this worse, that I'm a highly sensitive person also, which makes it worse. Being totally, like not knowing what she needed made me feel so inadequate. Not being able to figure out. So I was reading these books, like how to tell your baby's language. Like what does each cry mean? And in my mind, I was like, how the fuck am I ever going to know this? There is no way that I'm going to be able to understand this about my kid. And that like set in this other panicky feeling, like I'm not going to know what to do. I'm going to feel incompetent, inadequate, all of those things. Some signs now that I know were part of my anxiety. So thankfully I was able to nurse, but I was so worried that I wasn't going to remember how long she fed, which side she fed on, that I had a running list all of the time of which side, how long. And even if I wrote it down, I almost wasn't able to track and even trust that I wrote the right thing down. Mm It just was this like fogginess that came along with not sleeping very much. So that was one of the things that I noticed. One thing that I did have talked about in my story before is, so she slept next to me in a co-sleeper right next to the bed, but I had the baby monitor on. So the receiver was next to her and the, the speaker was next to my ear. I had it right here, even though she was like less than arm's reach away. I was so worried that I wouldn't hear her if she needed me or that I wouldn't hear her like stopping breathing. That was a, a, I would constantly check and make sure she was alive. And so much so that I wasn't sleeping much. I did the thing that I hear a lot of people do is like, okay, well, I just nursed her. I'm going to hold her up. Make sure, oh, she had a little bit of reflux also that mm-hmm. added to the concern that I'm not going to hear that she's like coughed up or something. So I would, you know, keep her held up and for a little while and then, you know, set her down. But I was just terrified that I wouldn't hear her. So I kind of lost my story a little bit, but, oh, right, I would nurse her and then think, okay, I spent however much time holding her up and she's going to wake up soon. So I'll just stay awake, which Mm -hmm. was like a massive downfall in my mental health is Mm -hmm. not letting myself sleep. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? 
My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. As I hear you talking, telling the story, it feels so, I can almost feel the predispositions, you know, setting you up for this disastrous sort of conflation of events. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because even if you're, you weren't diagnosed with OCD or anxiety before, we know now that perfectionism is a fancy word (laughs) that sort of encompasses a lot of that. Sure. So we grow up with the our perfectionism possibly being a great asset and helping us be focused and accomplished and successful in, in high school and in college and so on. It's also what predisposes us to, is she sleeping? Is she throwing up? Is she okay? Do, I don't need to sleep. I can watch. I can watch. I can watch. So, so I hear you telling this story and I'm picturing you with your baby over here and the, you know, the monitor over here and the hypervigilance in the middle, you know, and it's just like a, a super storm waiting to oh, yeah. happen. Yeah, absolutely. Just waiting to happen. So what developed symptom-wise, mm-hmm. symptom-wise, what are you maybe in retrospect, hindsight, sight, looking back, what did you start to feel or experience that you now know wasn't okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of vigilance, like not letting myself sleep, not wanting to sleep or miss anything. I felt really alone, like super Mm. duper alone. I should say nobody knew what was happening. Mm. Nobody knew what was happening. I was so good at pretending like everything was okay. And at like looking back on it now, I think, you know, I don't know what was going on for my husband, but I felt really disconnected from him. They're meaning like, It didn't feel like I could even share anything with him, not because anything he was doing, but because I didn't feel like I could tell anybody or I should tell anybody because I felt like a failure already. Like I, you know, the added layer of being a psychologist, a mental health clinician on top of all of this is, well, I should, I should be able to get through this, whatever it is, but I didn't want to admit 
to myself that I was sad, that I was crying all the time, like that that meant anything, that I didn't feel connected to my daughter. I knew for sure that I cared about her and that I loved her and I would like stop the speeding train for her, like all of those things. But when I kind of looked at her, I was like, I, she didn't feel like mine. It's interesting too, because my husband looks very different than me. He has blue eyes, he's tall, he's light brown hair. And she looked like him. And I was like, how did this light-skinned, blue-eyed baby come out of me? And it was just a thing that added to uh, like some sense of disconnection. But I felt disconnected from her. And did the disconnect feel anything, I don't know if I can express this right, other than you knew that there was something not right about that, but it sounds like you sort of blamed yourself for that. And I'm not doing this right. Or is this just what mothering feels like? Whatever. Did that, did it feel pathological? Did it feel? No, it just felt like this is the way it is. Yeah. Let me put it this way. Something didn't feel right, but it felt like it was me that wasn't right. It didn't feel like I was like dealing with some clinical thing. And I hate to admit it as like a therapist, but I didn't want anything to be wrong with me. I didn't want to acknowledge that something was off or wrong or it was like embarrassing to admit it to anybody. And then, you know, things just kept going like this. And after some time, I couldn't even tell you what the timeline was on this, but I went back to work at like three months. Over time, I, the intrusive thoughts that I did, I should say intrusive thoughts were there all along, but my intrusive thoughts became unbearable. I, this is one of those things that, you know, I'm sort of having two hats on both the experiencer and the therapist right now. So whoever's listening, who's had intrusive thoughts that are scary to them, um, just like take note if you need to take a a step back, but my, without, I'm not going to give detail, but my intrusive thoughts were of a sexual nature Mm -hmm. and it freaked me out. I was like racking my brain, like, why would I have these thoughts about my daughter? We ha- like, have I been sexually abused? Have I repressed something that like I don't know about? What is happening here? And that even enter my mind. And I, I couldn't figure it out. But I, in dealing with them, I would change diapers super fast. If I got an intrusive thought, I would just like literally close my eyes and shake my head and say like, no, 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 no. It became harder and harder to do things like baths and diapers and, and things like that. Um, and then it started to shift over into worrying that my husband was doing something mm-hmm. to her. Um, so I couldn't, oh gosh, I remember so vividly one time when he, it was like, we would take turns doing baths and, you know, we took turns with everything. So it was his turn. And I was pacing back and forth in the hallway while he was giving her a bath and I was listening at the door and I could not tolerate not being able to see what was happening in there. So I would go and check and be like, how you guys doing? Do you need any help? And like act out the like, everything's fine. I'm just here to help kind of BS. And obviously they were fine. Everything was fine. But I went into the kitchen and just sat in the corner and bawled my eyes out just in such turmoil emotionally, like I felt trapped in it. I couldn't not check on them. I couldn't get it out of my head. And it just, it felt like it broke me. And I don't know if it, like what happened first, I'm sort of running on about it. I don't even know how I dealt with that. 
all I know is that I cried and cried and cried. And it didn't, I mean, crying didn't help. I was still worried. I still had to go check on them again. And I still pretended like nothing was wrong. And your husband still didn't know the extent to which you were suffering or the thoughts you were having. Nope. No, I for sure couldn't tell him that. Like, there's no way. Right. So the wow that I'm experiencing right now in listening to you is this was 12 years ago. This wasn't 40 years ago. And so you and I have talked before about the fact that in so many ways, so many things have changed. And in so many ways, so many things have not changed at all over the course of forever that we've been doing this work. So 12 years ago, we would like to think as professionals that we had made enough movement forward that women could feel a little bit safer to come out and say what they needed to say. Mm-hmm. But as you point out, you know, the shame is enormous and it's yeah. silencing. And when you're a professional, it can be even more complex because of that. So right. so there you were literally on the floor, as you said, so perfectly and poignantly trapped. We know that OCD can do that. That brain can trap us. We, you know, we can't, how do I get out? How there do I get no, out of this? It felt like there was no way out. So what happened? Like I said, it's interesting because I don't remember a lot of like sequencing of events. It's all just one, just one mashup of horrible. And uh, gosh, I'm not really sure when it happened, but I do know that I had an intense amount of rage, like an unbelievable feel. I had never experienced this intensity before in any way. I like, I felt it like in my body, like it was always charged and I could just like punch through a wall, just Hulk strength, you know, blow shit up. I didn't, but it was like always there. I did actually, um, did hit, I shared just a little bit of this in a reel that I made the other day, but I was so infuriated that I punched a door. And of course I'm not thinking like, oh, this is going to hurt. But it did. It really hurt. And I hurt myself doing it unintentionally. And it scared me a lot. The span of time before I realized and came to terms with what was going on was a year. It just built and built and built. I felt more depressed, more trapped. I'd be in my office crying in between clients. I was the therapist. It's like helping other people. And sitting there and feeling like, oh my God, like little do they know. I can, like, I'm losing my shit. But I would like button myself up. And thankfully at that time, I had enough capacity as a therapist to be able to turn it on and turn it off. So I could sit there, do the job, feel pretty good about how I was helping other people. And then in between sessions, lose it, come back together and do it again. And that is exhausting. I um, should say so. Yeah. So it was like this big secret too, mm-hmm. uh, that nobody, I didn't want anybody to know. It was embarrassing. It was confusing. The thing is, is I didn't know anything about this. It wasn't discussed anywhere in grad school, in internships. It was like this sidebar that, oh, that there's this thing called postpartum depression and that was it. So I didn't have any point of reference to understand really what was going on. It just felt bad all the time. You know, it's hard enough as a therapist to be going through anything at the same time that you're sitting in that sacred space with your client. But when you're going through the same thing, you know, or mm-hmm. different, but similar, mm-hmm. you know, the, and as you said, you almost have to dissociate a little bit, you know, and, and be the good therapist. And you can be, mm-hmm. we know that we can be 
really good at our job and still feel like shit when we, Mm -hmm. you know, go home. We can do that and not compromise our work in any way. But it also makes you feel less than. It also must have made you feel so guilty on top of everything else that you were feeling. I'm still concerned about the unknownness. Like, when did you realize you needed to reach out or find out what's going on and get some help? How did you get to that point? So in my role as a therapist, it was part of our intake process to give out a PHQ-9 to every new client. That's a depression screening scale for people who don't know what it is. And um, I know the symptoms of depression backwards and forwards. It's like well, the kind of every, an everyday thing to figure out for other people. But for whatever reason, I decided to sit down with myself and answer those questions as honestly as possible. And when I tallied the score, I was in a moderately severe range. And that to me was like, this is happening. Okay, wait, back up for one second, Kat. Mm-hmm. You said... For some unknown reason, I decided to fill this out for myself. What was that? What got you to know that you needed to do that? I can't remember the exact thing, but I do know now, again, like looking back, it's a little clearer that I knew something was not right. And it must have gotten to a point that was just untenable. Like I just, I couldn't anymore. I don't even know, like, you know, we can talk about what it, feels like in terms of breaking it down into symptoms and like all the symptoms are there, but when it feels like everything's there all the time, all at once, it just feels, I mean, I don't feel like there's even a good word for it. Horrible. Sure. I was lost. I was lost in it. I was in a fog all of the time. I wasn't thinking clearly, meaning like my memory was shot. I couldn't concentrate on stuff. You know, the, at the time when when it got to its kind of worse, me just crying all the time at work, it got to a point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. I couldn't like pretend I was okay. You're again doing a spectacular job of describing this sort of separation of self where you, there was enough of your observing self to know that I don't like the way I'm feeling. So there was sort of a, I'm watching it happen kind of thing. Yes. You know, I'm watching myself deteriorate, but at the same time, I know that's happening. And so you didn't feel prior to then, you didn't feel like you had the resources to access, but something scared the shit out of you enough to say, help me. Yeah. Right. What was the help me? Where did you go? What was the first movement step that you took? I went back to my therapist who I'd been seeing for Gosh, I don't know how long. You know, in like grad school, you're required to go to therapy. Well, my grad school required it anyways, which I think everybody should if you're going to be a therapist. Side note. She was my therapist throughout grad school. And I I should say, without saying too much, I had an absolutely heinous four years throughout grad school, not because of school, but because of stuff that was going on in my family. So there were so many. Oh, and by the way, I had two more concussions along the way. So like I was set up by her brain, but yeah, my brain was just hijacked mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. so many different reasons. So, you know, that therapist, I went back to her and even to her, I know that I didn't fully express what was happening. Yeah. I, even to her, I didn't, I couldn't bring myself to say all of the things I was experiencing, but I do yet, by the way, sorry to interrupt you. Have you yet told somebody everything? 
Yes. Yeah. I was trying to think of what I told my now therapist, therapy for life. (laughs) So I think at that time I had figured out, I had done the PHQ-9 thing. I knew I was dealing with depression and I told her, I think I'm depressed. And she said, I don't think you're depressed. And I can tell you in less than a half a second, I shut down. I I was like, oh, I can't tell you anything. And this was somebody that knew a lot of my, my history. And I just didn't understand what the response was. And I couldn't ask at that point, well, what do you think is going on? I was just like, okay, I'm going to shut down again. Uh. So it therapy at that point felt unsafe to me. Uh-huh. I started to look into like alternative options for help. So I was like, well, maybe I could go. I was in, living in San Francisco at the time. So I had access to some more like hippy dippy woo woo type things, which I'm all for in, in certain circumstances. But for me, I was like, okay, maybe I need to go to like somebody who does energy healing, like Reiki or craniosacral therapy, and, and maybe that could help. So I did. I started going to her, which ended up being a lot of like meditating, meditation and feeling feelings. It's almost like I had to bypass my logic. Being brain. Yeah. Yeah. Executive function. Cause there was so much of me that wanted to stay buttoned up and not, you know, fully feel all these feelings. So I needed to find some alternative way and to do that. So I went to her for a while. I went to a naturopathic doctor. Turns out my thyroid was also a little bit off. Um, so that helped, but it didn't fix everything. So I was doing acupuncture and some alternative stuff because I honestly didn't feel safe with a therapist. Like if she didn't get it and she knows me best of anybody, then what? where am I to go? Can you think now of what the perfect response for her would have been for you to hear? It would have been nice if she were curious about what I was talking about. You said that. And right? what I meant and what I was experiencing. There was just like a whole cloth denial in that moment and it did damage, frankly. So I would have wanted her to be curious and to ask questions and sitting where I sit now to know what questions to ask. Because you can ask questions and get to a certain point, but if you don't know the right questions to ask, you're only going to get so far. So that would have been cool. It would have been nice also for, for her to potentially recommend medication as an option. That was like definitely a no-no in that state of mind that I was in. And not because I did like, sure, take medication if that's what you need. I didn't care about it for any anybody else. I was like an advocate for feeling better. But for me, there was still like, I was still stuck in the shame and too much to realize that, again, knowing what I know now, I would have taken it right away because I suffered for a long time. Even after that, like year mark or so of, that was just the beginning of recognizing it, you know. And then there's the journey out, uh, which, you know, took a while because I didn't have the right help. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, 
wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Struck by that feeling, yeah, I'm sort of feeling that feeling of having so much pain and so much suffering and going to what you thought was a safe place. And hey, I'm smart enough to know something's going on here. Here's what I think might be going on. And then hearing like, by the way, your pretense, your facade that you are looking good, feeling good, sounding good worked. Oh, for it sure. totally worked. Yes. And so I've sold my husband. I've sold my <laughs> mother. I've sold my best friend. And now I've sold my therapist. So mm-hmm. where can I possibly go from here? So, so it is, you know, it's what we all know. We try and teach therapists who are interested in doing this work not to do that. Like, mm-hmm. If she's sitting in front of you, she's there because she's suffering. And if she looks good, she's just not telling you, Mm -hmm. right? So for you to get that response, I can see, you know, I can feel what that felt like for you and and the despair of knowing now there's no place for me to go. I can see why that sort of postponed your healing trajectory for quite some time. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. It really did. I can't even, oh, you know what? I think there was... um... There's just moments I can remember where I put pieces together, like my aha moments, as Oprah calls them, that I think after I figured out what was going on, I couldn't even tell you exactly how I figured it out, um, that it was postpartum related. But I started putting pieces together on my own because that's what it felt like. I didn't have any other options really other than to figure it out on my own. Then I was pissed that like nobody knew that I was left to suffer Nobody asked me the right questions. I didn't learn about this in school. And I was really mad that I, I felt like, like I fell through those cracks. And I wanted to make sure that nobody else did, and which sent me on this trajectory and it keeps getting, you know, I'm, I'm deep in. I swim in this world and I'm happy to. But at the time, I think I sought out some books. I thought I sought out a training I was really trying to understand what was going on for myself. And in those trainings is where I was putting more and more pieces together. And it was in a workbook that I was reading that I realized at that time that I'd had OCD uh, because I still hadn't figured that part out. And when I saw that, it was like the clouds parted. It was like, oh, I'm 
I'm not this horrible person for thinking those thoughts, that it was happening to me, not that I was creating this and, um, or even wanting to have those thoughts. And that is a bit how the healing journey was for me. It was just like slowly putting pieces together and seeing it in a book, hearing it in a training was so affirming to me to realize that it wasn't just me and that I, I wasn't alone in this process and, and that there was like a way to continue to feel better. It was just everything. So stunned by the fact that, that you were so locked in 12 years ago. I, I am. It's hard for me not to take this personally, you know, that you didn't get one of my books and figure this out, you know? <laughs> it's so worrisome to me that, you know, women like yourself just suffer for so long when there is access to information, mm-hmm. but it's hard to find. And as, as you've said so brilliantly, it's, so, it's hard to find the right place. And it's hard to, to know even when you are in the right place that it is the right place. So I have no doubt in my mind that, and you have no doubt in your mind, I'm sure that your experience is precisely what makes you so good at what you do. Right. Because oh, you're, so, you're, you're so driven by, like you said, to protect women from experiencing what, this the way you did, that you make sure when you're asked those questions or when somebody brings something to you, that you probably press the pause button and make sure you do say what you believe they want to hear you say and need to hear you say. Yeah, for sure. I've been on a trajectory to be a therapist. I knew at the age of 12, actually, with, that I wanted to be um, a psychologist. So I set myself on that path and I, you know, I did that, but I always still felt like uh, there was something missing. And then once this, once I realized what was happening, I was like, oh, there it is. This is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, when did I have my daughter? I think it was 31, Uh maybe when I had my daughter, something like that. So yeah, that set me on, on this specialty path. And yeah, to your point, I mean, I, just actually had a session today with somebody that she broke through the clouds and is able to see that she's going to get better. And it's just like, I could cry right now. It is like the coolest fucking thing. I love it. And in part, I mean, obviously it's great for some people to be on their healing journey, but I think for me personally, it just, I resonate with that feeling too, of just finally feeling like, okay, I'm going to, it's going to be okay. At some point, it's going to be okay. It's magical. It's the coolest thing ever. Your case too, you worked so hard by yourself for so long to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a tough road. It's just, it doesn't have to be that. You know this, back, backwards and forwards. It doesn't have to be this hard. We, I mean, we can't make sure that nobody ever suffers, but we can sure as hell get them out of it more quickly. Mm-hmm. One of the important lessons that you've expressed is... How do you know if you're in the right place? How do you know if, you know, this therapist is going to help you? You know, and one of the things I once said to my daughter, she said, you know, how did she know that daddy was the right person for you to, you know, spend your whole life with? You just know. Mm-hmm. You just know. If you're a woman, I think I can say this, you know, all gender bias, you know, biases aside, women know when they're okay and when they're not okay, for the most part. They know if they're safe or if they're not safe. Mm-hmm. And you knew. You knew something was wrong before you knew something was wrong. You knew that your therapist was not a safe place for you when your therapist was not a safe place for you. That doesn't mean she wasn't a wonderful therapist or a wonderful human being, but it wasn't a place that you felt you could 
disclose or talk to. And so, you know, you can't write this in a book, you can't put it on a prescription pad. But one of the things that you and I all often say is if you think something is wrong, it probably is. That doesn't mean something catastrophic is happening, mm-hmm. but it means trust your instincts and don't stop until you find a place that you feel safe and can talk about it. Cause you've, you really had a rough road there, but it's taken you to some super fabulous place now. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have been cool to not suffer, but like, mm-hmm. whatever here, <laughs> I'm well now everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a tough road, but it really did lead to some great things. I think I already said it. Your journey, which was so complicated and so prolonged, I guess if you believe in the universe, you know, and cosmic things happening has brought you to, you know, this full circle place where you set the stage for other women, other professionals, everybody to come and talk to you about this and to tell you about their journey. And in addition to, you know, writing books and doing your psychotherapy this podcast is so i have to tell you behind the scenes people talk about this a lot i mean my team you know we talked about it today this morning and they're like oh she's my favorite i listen to her when i'm running i listen to her when i run it's true so you know there's a lot happening behind the scenes that that you don't know about but it has brought you to this spectacular place that i'm always such so honored to be a part of. So thank you for telling me your story and for sharing it with everybody else and and for being who you are, because we all, you know, appreciate that the story got you here and we get all this good stuff from you. <laughs> thank you, Karen. This was great. I'm honored that you, uh, you wanted to do this with me and I hope it's helpful for people who are listening and you just, uh, you're, you're so good at what you do. I know this wasn't therapy, but you know, I know how skilled you are in in your work and I appreciate all that you bring to the world. Thank you. Well, that's uh, my experience in a nutshell. Certainly, you know, having suffered for such a long time, there are other details and other facets to my experience that didn't necessarily come out this time. But honestly, it's not because I'm hiding anything anymore. At the time I was, but I don't think that we deserve for our stories to be silent and grow in the dark. It is so empowering, I believe, to hear other people's stories. And even if you never share your story personally, hearing from somebody else who has a similar experience really does help shed a light on your experience in the world and help you to feel less alone. I hope prompts you to get the help that you need and deserve. I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.